Let's pray. Holy God and merciful God, as we come to your word, truly open the eyes of our hearts so that we may know, know you evermore, to be filled with your love, your grace, your comfort, and your joy, so that we may sing the praises of Jesus. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, so far in our Advent series, we've touched upon the topics of hope, comfort, peace, all of which seem to be in pretty short supply in the world nowadays, right? Yeah. And now, today, we come upon joy, which also seems to be in pretty short supply in the world as well. I mean, we all long for joy, don't we? We all long for joy, but what is joy? I mean, when you start to think about it, and certainly the older you get, you know that there's a difference between happiness and joy, right? That happiness seems to be a little bit more momentary, a little bit more fleeting. For example, growing up, you know, right before Christmas, all the kids... Five, six kids in my family, by the way. All of us excited, opening presents, just waiting. And then on Christmas Day, there's the tearing of the opening the presents, paper everywhere. And we are filled with what is certainly happiness, maybe joy, but you start to play with them. Do you ever see this in your family? You play with them a few hours and you kind of go, eh. And, and then a, certainly a week later, it's like, well, what's next? Right? And so that happiness is more about the circumstances. It's just momentary. Now, I think the same thing happens as adults. We get a new toy or something new, and for a little while, we are happy. But then it seems to fade over time. So I think that happiness seems to be more external And it seems to be more about the circumstances in our life. And yet we all long for something deeper than that, don't we? We long for something with substance. That joy that is deep. And if you really want to start to think about joy, you could have it be this. That joy is a deep, satisfaction of your soul. So where do you find this deep satisfaction? Where do you find a wellspring that will continue on? Even in the midst of circumstances, even in the midst of this world, where can you find that joy? Well, let me tell you about a man who found that joy. His name was Paul. Paul was in really bad circumstance. He was in a bad circumstance. He was in prison. And as a matter of fact, he knew that he would be executed and the execution would be by being beheaded. Or at least as the tradition goes. And yet Paul had joy. As a matter of fact, he wrote to his brothers and sisters in Christ 
to the church at Philippi, he wrote this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I mean, here he is in prison, knowing that ultimately he would die. Yet he writes encouragement. And he says, rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. How could he do that? I mean, he was in prison. He was in earthly judgment. But he knew, he knew that he had gone from God's heavenly judgment against sin and the punishment of sin, eternal damnation. He had gone from that to salvation in Christ Jesus. That's that wellspring of joy. He knew he had been condemned and now he was free. And he knew that this freedom wasn't just somewhere in the future. But now, he knew it wasn't just a far-off promise, but now, he said, the Lord is at hand. You don't have to wait for that joy. It's here now. And really, isn't this the Advent message? Christ the Savior, He is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Salvation has come to you. You have gone from judgment to joy. That's the Advent message, isn't it? From judgment to joy. So we're going to take that journey today because we have been working in the Old Testament, Advent foretold, and we will be in the book of Zephaniah and go from judgment to joy. So let's first start with that judgment in the book of Zephaniah. Now, how many of you even knew, I won't even show a show of hands, knew that Zephaniah was a book in the Bible? Right? It's, it's like one of those little books that never gets mentioned, except generally during Advent, during this day in Advent. So, Zephaniah, and by the way, it's only three chapters long. He was a prophet whose ministry was around 630 A.D., during the time of Josiah, King Josiah. Now, Josiah was a good, good king, but he came after the rule of Manasseh. Manasseh was the most wicked king there was. He ruled longest, too, in Judea, 55 years. So what were some of the sins of Manasseh? Well, there was murder, there was rebuilding the high places for pagan worship, incurring Baal, sun, moon, and star worship, and burning his son as a child sacrifice. This is what it says in 2 Kings 21. And he burned his son as an offering and used fortune-telling and omens and dealt with mediums and necromancers. By the way, I want you to notice that 
mediums or psychics, right? Psychics and people who say they communicate with the dead are lumped in the same sentence along with child sacrifice. That's how evil God says these things are. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. So, not only was an evil king, but the people followed his evil practices. It's not that they simply went astray, they were engaged in evil. So, because of the sin of Manasseh and the people of Israel who followed the king, there was judgment. And it was severe, strong judgment on the nation of Israel. If you read Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 2, and by the way, most of the Old Testament prophets do not start off with words of encouragement. Most of them start off with words of judgment. Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 2 through 6 says, I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will cut off from this place the remnants of Baal and the name of the idolatrous priest along with the, along with the priest, those who bow down on the roofs to the host of the heavens, those who bow down and swear to the Lord, yet swear by Milcom, another pagan deity. Those who have turned back from following the Lord, those who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. So in simple terms, because of the wickedness and, uh, and evil that man has done against God, God's wrath is going to be poured out. So, think about this. I mean, what would you do if you were in a time like that? See, you had the choice during that time of following the king and all of his evil, wicked ways and thus sinning greatly against God or honoring God and then falling under the punishment of the authorities. I mean, what would you do? Where would you find refuge? And by the way, if you've been following along, this is happening in our world today, isn't it? It's certainly happened. We pray for those who are persecuted because they are under those exact same conditions. If you're a Muslim, by the way, and you, we talked about this in Bible study on Wednesday, if you're a Muslim and you convert to Christianity, ostracized by your family at the very least, thrown out of the home, you could even be beaten and killed because you say you would now follow Jesus. But even in the free world today, right, there's more and more pressure to follow the people who are doing evil against God. And so this is a very real situation. No wonder joy is lacking in this world. So where do you take refuge during this time? Well, actually, God gave a promise to the Israelites. 
And this is, we're going to skip now to chapter 3 of Zephaniah, just before our reading for the day. Zephaniah 11, chapter 3, 11 and 12. You shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountains. But I will leave you in a midst of people humble and low. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. See, the promise is to seek refuge in His name. In His name. Always. No matter the circumstance. Which is what really Paul has been writing about too. The Lord is at hand. Seek Him and His name. For those who seek the Lord, who seek refuge in His name, shall find not only comfort and light, but joy. So there's the judgment. And now we come to the joy. It says, Sing aloud, O daughters of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. You know, he is, he is speaking as a father to a daughter. There, there's an intimacy here. There's a great love. And he says, sing, shout, rejoice, exalt. This would be me singing with my microphone on. Right? This would be you singing with a microphone on. This would be dancing in the streets as if nobody is watching. That's the type of joy that he is expressing here. See, the joy that he is expressing transcends happiness. It is pervasive exaltation. It's beautifully expressed in that song, Ode to Joy. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness. Drive the dark of doubt away. Giver of immortal gladness, fill us with the light of day. I mean, you can't help but be joyful singing that song. But could you imagine if the song was changed to Happy, Happy, We Adore Thee? It's it's not quite the same thing, is it? Happy, Happy, We Adore Thee. No, joyful, joyful. We adore Thee. You see, the joy that comes from the Lord is transcendent. It is eternal. It does not change. It does not move. And so what God has declared to the Israelites is that their time of mourning is over. That those who are brokenhearted shall be lifted up that those who seek His name, He is faithful. He is steadfast. And that's the promise. That, brothers and sisters, is the fulfillment we find in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, our joy is complete. It is full. You see, when you take a look at the New Testament, There's a lot of references associated 
with Jesus and joy. So John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist in the womb leapt for joy when Jesus in the womb was there. The angels told the shepherds, Fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. At the baptism of Jesus, there is the pleasure, the joy of God. This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. And the night before Jesus was to be crucified, He spoke at length with His disciples. And He said this, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Remember, the joy he was speaking at was not dependent upon the circumstances, was it? And then at his ascension, so after the resurrection and his ascension, it says, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. This is why Paul could write, Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Always rejoicing in the Lord. How could he write that? Because he knew in his, the core of his being, the core of his being, that he had gone from judgment of sin, prison, to freedom. And it was everlasting. It was not based on his strength, but on who Christ is. On the love, the grace, the mercy of God. That's what it was based on. He knew this. And this is from Romans chapter 8. He knew that therefore is, there is therefore no... Now, I'll say it again. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That he was a new creation. He was no longer condemned. And listen, the more I think about this, the longer I am in my journey of faith, I believe that many Christians lack joy because they don't fully believe that statement. That they are somehow still under a burden of trying to please God. Trying to do more good things than others. Waiting around, waiting, is he going to smite me now? Right? We kind of tiptoe in our faith. And thus, joy is certainly muted. But the more I grow in my faith, the more I come to simply, and by the way, faith means trust, the more I simply trust God at His Word. And I trust Him in His grace, His mercy, the gift we have for us in Christ Jesus. Now, it's never that I, I want to take that for granted. I don't want to make His grace cheap. You know, some people make God's grace cheap by sinning, knowing that, oh, well, God will just forgive me. That's not it. You know, we don't want to sin because of who God is and the great gift that we have. But we rest in His promises, not our strength. Because as Paul also wrote, when I am weak, he is strong. Right? 
in my weakness, his strength is perfected. And we see his glory. See, I, I think that's why people don't have that joy because they really don't have the joy of their salvation before us. They don't really believe there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, maybe, maybe today, if that was the only message that you took away and meditated upon and let that take root in your heart, maybe that would be the verse today. See, in Christ Jesus, we have what God promised way back in Zephaniah. It says this, chapter 3, starting verse 15 through 17, The Lord has taken away the judgment against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Think about that. God doing this for Israel. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. What words of comfort. What words of encouragement. And see, the language in Zephaniah, it shifts from you, that is the nation of Israel, to he, that is what God will do. We actually find that God delights in your salvation. It's of no little thing. He delights in your salvation. Psalm 149 For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. See, this is so different from a God who's just waiting to smite you, right? That in him, in your salvation, he delights, he takes pleasure. Now the language in Zephaniah shifts from you, that is Israel, to he, that is the Lord, and now it says, I, speaking about God. And it becomes very intimate here. This is going to be verse 18 through 20. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors and I will save the lame and gather the outcast. And I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in. At that time, when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes. This is what the Lord God Almighty promised Israel. And so, do we not have the same promises in Christ Jesus? I mean, when you think about that, that should fill you with joy. 
But I think we've taken that for granted. We hear that over and over, and we just start to take it for granted. Now, there's a cartoonist, Adam Ford. And I came across, uh, quite a few years, years ago, a cartoon. I have permission to share it. So he has a cartoon that I thought really got to the heart of this. It begins this way. It says, dude, you're a Christian. Do you realize what that means? And then it goes on. It says, God chose you. Think about it. You. God chose you before he created the world. He chose you to be adopted into his eternal family. To live forever ever with him. Think of how mind-blowing that is. And then it goes on to other scenes. He says, and consider what God did to accomplish that. God the Son crushed for your sin. He took your punishment, God did, and He gave you His own righteousness. Think about that. You possess the righteousness of God. You were transferred from death to life, from darkness to light. God, the Holy Spirit, took residence inside you. God Himself, now you're one of His. You're safe when you used to be condemned. You're free when you used to be in slavery. You are His forever. And the Creator of the universe accomplished all of this for you when you couldn't do it yourself. And finally, the guy says to him, Okay, okay, dude, you're right. You made your point. I take it all back. Because then the next frame says, Five minutes earlier, before the conversation. So, how did you come to know Jesus? Eh, my conversion story is kind of boring. The miracle that you were saved should bring you great joy. It should have you dancing in the streets. Okay, let me give you another example. So, Pastor Tom Wallace, he recounts his favorite illustration of joy. It took place at his church, the Bible Baptist Church in Elkton, Maryland. So the Sunday morning service had began, and a man who had never been there before was walking down the aisle, and his eyes were just in awe. It was a big auditorium. It was filled with people, and he looked around, and, and he slowly came to sit in the second row. And so he listened to Pastor Wallace, great, great interest. When the invitation time came, Pastor Wallace says, said, now how many of you are not saved but would like to be? And you want us to pray for you. Will you raise your hand? Well, this man's hand shot up and he was just waving it back and forth and back and forth. So Pastor Wallace invited him to come up and he literally, I mean, he just like bounded up on the stage near the altar. So he stood. The man was like stiff, erect, Pastor Wallace said, Sir, do you believe that Christ died for, to save sinners? He, yes, sir, yes, sir. I want to do just that. And so he came forward, and he wanted to be baptized. So they baptized him that day. And he put him in the water. And when he brought him out, his hand shot up. And he said, hot dog, hot dog, hot dog. 
And everybody started laughing. And Pastor Wallace said, no, 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 you don't understand. This man doesn't, hasn't been in church before. He doesn't know how to say praise the Lord, hallelujah, amen, or any of that. His praise was hot dog. That's the joy that that man had. That's the joy that we should all have because Christ the Lord is here. He is at hand and your salvation is secure in Him. Hot dog, right? Hot dog. Salvation has come to the world. Evil has been overcome. You are set free from slavery to sin. Death has no sting. Death is banished by His light. The outcasts are welcome home. The brokenhearted are comforted. So we should sing aloud, O oh, brothers and sisters of Joy Church. We should shout, rejoice, exult with all our heart, for salvation has come to us this day. So this week, go back over the promises. I mean, if you are lacking joy, go back to the promises and realize the miracle that you actually are saved. And then let your heart rejoice. See, your salvation isn't far away. The promises aren't far away. They are here this very day. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, He is at hand. Amen.